We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. Today, by Michael Doliak Fachi. Fachi, what's going on, brother? Man, from one bust to just a guy that was really just never that good. Um, you know, it always get worse, Fachi. They, they, they typically do. I mean, I miss the days of being Mike Piazza out here, you know, <laughs> but uh, I guess they can't all be Hall of Fame catchers. But hey, you know, I am here. I got a lot of stamps signed and delivered letters to send out there or, you know, maybe read. So, Alex, I'm ready to get to it if you are. All right, let's start off here with basketball, John. He said, how optimistic are you guys on us landing the first pick in the upcoming draft? I mean, I'm not over-the-top optimistic, but I'll tell you this. I'm as optimistic as any year that I've ever watched this team because we've never been in this type of spot. So, look, anything's possible, but what the Jazz and Spurs are prepared to roll out there this season it's going to be hard to beat. And when I say beat, I mean it's going to be hard to lose to. So then also, let's factor this in. The loss of Chet, I feel like, is going to send OKC into tanking for one more season. So I do think the Pacers can very much be in the running for a top three pick. And then anything can happen in the lottery. But it's going to be hard to lose as many games as the Jazz and Spurs this year. Yeah, I would, I'm would. i going to say there's a 14% chance Fachi at the number one overall pick for the Pacers this year, which is the highest odds, so mm-hmm. that's good. And I also think if they have those odds, they'll have a 52% chance of landing in the top four. So that's kind of where you want to be at, yep. just get a chance to get in there and get them. So it, it's going to be tough, but I think the big thing is here is do we try to lose those games against the teams that are tanking on purpose? like the Spurs, like Utah. That way, if we have a head-to-head record, 
uh, and we're tied, we get the advantage. I mean, I think you're, I think that's very important because, look, it's not like the Jazz are going to win like three games this year. No one's that bad. But you definitely want to be able to get that tiebreaker over there if it comes down to it. And I just feel like those are the games that are important to lose. Also, like you remember, you know, us versus OKC, those were two – you know, bloodbath games that really yeah. came down on the wire. I mean, there was a game that ended in overtime and a game that ended, you know, I think pretty much close to the buzzer. So it's going to be hard to lose those games. But if the Pacers really want to be serious about trying to land a number one pick, they kind of have to. Yeah, those two games were pretty fun. It's kind of funny how fun they were. I was actually at the one in Gamebridge Fieldhouse when Lance hit the game tying three to go to yeah. overtime. And then we just got beaten overtime. So that actually was a good loss for us. But I do remember when Sabonis came back from his injury and um, actually might have been COVID. I can't remember. I think it might have been COVID when he returned yeah. and helped us beat OKC on the road before he we went and played Dallas and Rick Carlisle's, you know, return. So it's just one of those things where if we split, I get it, but I prefer to lose those games head to head just so we have a better chance. So I, I would say that I think the Pacers kind of understand how important getting Wimbenyama is. So I think that they're going to do everything they can to get him. But with how flattened the lottery odds are, it just seems like it's not guaranteed whatsoever. So I will say I'm like, I don't want to say like semi-optimistic. I would just say I'm I'm right in between semi-optimistic and pessimistically optimistic. So I, okay. I guess All right. I'm just like, yeah, somewhere in between. I, I, that's really hard to say. I'm having a tongue twister today and, and yesterday's podcast. I don't know what's wrong with me. I just keep tripping up over my own words, but uh, that's because I'm talking too much. We should get moving, Potch. Absolutely. So next question, we have Casey Johnson said, maybe something only I'm interested in, but as a podcast host, I always wonder, is there a particular website or set of tabs you like to have pulled up while you're uh, reading, while you're recording? So you can get uh, to stats or news quickly on the fly as things come up organically. Yeah, so a couple of things here. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious. Basketball reference is the something best. I always use for for statistics. And for like live news and stuff like that, it's got to be Twitter. I mean, Absolutely. it's an app on my phone. I've always got the notifications for the major reporters out there in case anything breaks. Uh, sometimes while we're in the show, I'll just refresh my feed in case there's something that comes up that maybe we didn't get a chance to talk about or that was interesting. So, yeah, I would say those are my two go-tos. If I'm, like, doing research, though, before a podcast, I'll look a couple different places. Like, NBA Stats definitely has some interesting things. Uh, PVP Stats as well has some really in-depth, anal- uh, you know, analysis on certain things. So that's kind of where I'm at with all of it. But, Bachi, I don't know if there's anything else you have to add to that, but that's where I'm at. Basketballreference.com is definitely the goat for like any type of stat or you know history on, on a team, a season, anything of that sort. SpotTrack.com for contracts. Yeah, that I love getting accurate financial numbers over there. SpotTrack, you know, can tell you any contract across any sport. Um, and you know, every now and then, ESPN.com for like the schedule or standings or anything of, of that sort. But Twitter for anything breaking for sure. Got the notifications on for for Shams, Woj, uh, Chris Haynes. Um, So over there, I I make sure that those guys, if there's something significant that happens in breaking time, those three are going to report it. Yeah, and I I definitely think one thing we should bring up here is we do use Tankathon a lot during during draft draft coverage. Mm -hmm. And also, 
the Fanspo trade machine, we use that quite a bit yep. in terms of just looking at trades, seeing if they work. And I would say that that trade machine is pretty accurate for having all the details in terms of what's legal, what's not illegal. Now, sometimes there are some things in there that do not work, but overall, that is something that I use frequently in terms of trying to get myself ready for a podcast or to like elaborate on a trade request or a trade idea that maybe a fan has brought up in a mailbag like this. So thank you, Casey, for that question. And it was uh, hopefully that gives you some good information. If you have anything else, feel free to privately message me or Fachi uh, about that. But with that being said, let's move on to our next question. This one comes from Architect X22. He said, what is your over under that the Pacers make a trade before December 31st? So, um, I guess over under would be a how many days or a percentage. I don't know. What do you want to do here? Yeah, I didn't really understand. I think he just basically made like, you know, a, a true or false. Do they make a trade before December thirty first yeah. or not? So I guess the the over under would be like point five. Um, you know, more than more than a trade or or less. You know, not a trade. Yeah. So, I basically had it as, look, it's a really tough call because you typically don't see trades happen in the first month or two. It's not that they haven't happened, but if a deal is going to happen early on, it feels like a deal between the Pacers and Lakers. It seems like a, a game of chicken right now to see, like, who's going to cave in to see, you know, will the Pacers get two first-round picks or will it become, you know, a, a first and a couple seconds or something of the sort for a deal, you know, taking on Russ. But December 15th, that's typically that's that's the, the deadline of when a lot of players become available for trades. So I think uh, you know keep your eye on that date if something's going to happen. But I don't see the Pacers really moving you know Turner or Buddy in a deal if it's not the Lakers before you know at least January or February of next year. All right, so I'm going to make a percentage here, Flashy. Fifty percent chance they make a trade before the deadline. Do you think it's less than fifty or over fifty? Or before December 31st, excuse me. Less well, than 50 or over. 50-50. Um, you know, they either do or they don't. Um, but I'm going to say that that they don't. Um, so less than 50% chance to make a trade before December 31st? Yeah. I mean, look, it, I, to be honest, I would love if the Pacers did. I would love that they really kicked the season off by saying, like, hey, we're going to make a trade and clear up some playing time. But I wouldn't be surprised if the Pacers are just major sellers at the deadline, just like last year when all of a sudden, I mean, we saw Lavert go, and then days later it was Sabonis, Justin Holiday, Jeremy Lamb. Uh, you know, um, I don't know why I always forget. Uh, Justin Holiday? No, not Justin Holiday. What was that? No, not Karis Avert. I always forget the guy who traded the Suns for Jalen Smith. Oh, Tory Craig. Tory Craig, yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't know why. It's just like we've talked about it before, how his time as a Pacer was just so, like, not like meaningless, but, like, uneventful. Um, But, like, <laughs> once that happened, the Pacers were just pure sellers, and they were just like, look, anyone we can trade, get them off the team. So I do see them being big, big-time sellers come the deadline. But if they make a deal with the Lakers, I think it's going to be one that happens earlier on in the season. I think I'm going to hammer the over 50% that they make Ooh, a trade before okay. December 31st. It kind of goes with my bold prediction from earlier, but I still believe that. There's just too many guys I think they want to see get playing time together in the starting lineup, and I think they're going to move off of some of these veterans quicker than I think some people realize. Now, they might hold on to Turner a little bit longer, but I could see Tice and Buddy more than likely getting shopped a little bit heavily not heavily, but I think teams will be calling about them. Probably Turner, too. But I think teams are going to be calling to see what their availability is. And 
maybe someone tries to sneak in there and get them before the Lakers can do that deal. So that that's me is where I would keep an eye on things, especially if Buddy and or Miles is playing really well. That could only help increase their trade value. And if I'm the Pacers, I've got Mather on my bench. If I really believe he's a starter-level player, I'm trying to find a new home for Buddy as soon as possible. Yeah, I mean, hey, I'm with you. Look, in a perfect world, Buddy gets off to a hot start through, you know, 10, 15 games, and the Pacers are able to make a move. But it's just something that isn't as common. So I'm with you. I'd love to believe it, but I'm going to say that that they don't make a move uh, until 2023. So until that, and that means January or so, not after the season. Yeah. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Next question, we have Jerd underscore Jerd said, if the Pacers have to relocate to another city not named Fort Wayne, which would it be for the Pacers? Well, if you're going by population, Evansville is the third largest populated city in Indiana, and it's really close to the Kentucky area. So you could draw on a lot of Kentucky fans by moving to Evansville. Uh, you wouldn't want to move to South Bend because there's a lot of Chicago fans there. Now, you could potentially put, you know, this uh, the Pacers in, like, Fishers or Carmel, somewhere like that. I just don't think they have the the city big enough to kind of maintain that. So I'm going to go out and just say that the most logical city is Evansville. I mean, hey, it would make sense from a financial standpoint. That's typically what you want to do is you're not – you don't want to move – you know, the, a team to a place that isn't, um, you know, financially worthy of it. So Evansville is the biggest, and yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, Alex, I, I have not, I have not been to Bloomington where IU is. I mean, yeah. would that even is that just not a fit at all? No, it wouldn't be because there's too many Bloomington. You know, there's so many Hoosier fans out there that the Hoosiers would get precedent over the Pacers, right? And that's kind of where I worried about like South Bend, like that's Notre Dame country. Right. And if you're looking mm-hmm. at the NBA pro teams, like Chicago Bulls fans are running rampant out there in South Bend. So like Fishers, Carmel, that's like the ritzy area on the North side of Indianapolis. Uh, Lafayette's where Purdue's at. So you wouldn't want to go out there. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's really not a great spot <laughs> in terms of like where they can move besides Fort Wayne. Evansville makes the most sense as the secondary team, but that's, that's about it. 
Yeah, no, I'm with you over there. So, hey, maybe Evansville, you know, hopefully just the Pacers don't have to entertain this. I know a couple of years ago it became a, like a little bit of a rumor, like could they move, but they ain't going nowhere. Uh, it won't so, be another Indiana. Uh, you ready for the next question? Yeah, it won't be another city in Indiana if they move, though. That's just, let's just be yes, honest. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, this one comes from Christopher Lloyd. He said, between not giving him a richer contract, being left out of the camp preseason rotation, and Carlisle's apparent fondness of Terry Taylor and Neesmith, what do you think the chances are O'Shea Brissett is not on the Pacers roster next season? Great pod, guys. I mean, it feels like it's increasing by the day. Look, it's, I wanted the Pacers to work out an early extension with O'Shea. And, and we talked about that before, and it didn't happen. I was like, okay, maybe it's a proven year. Now it works we're hearing that it's just like it seems by all accounts that O'Shea is somehow in the doghouse or just Carlisle is not an O'Shea guy. I talked about it last episode is that we've now seen Kendall Brown get in both preseason games before O'Shea has. We just saw Langston Galloway play nearly the same amount of minutes as O'Shea in the past preseason game. These are not good signs. Right now, Neesmith dealing with the, the plantar fascia right now, maybe that does have a little bit of an impact, or I hope that it does not linger. But when the team has talked about Terry Taylor, they have raved. And we've seen Terry Taylor be one of the earliest subs in both of the preseason games, which makes me feel that his role is far more carved out. So O'Shea, it's going to be an uphill battle right now. And I really feel like O'Shea is going to go to the highest bidder in free agency because he's going to want or, or just he's going to want the biggest role. And I think that that's not on the Pacers right now. How much do you value O'Shea versus this team, Fachi? I clearly value him more than Carlisle does. Well, um, I'm just curious. Like, would you say it's like a top eight in terms of how you value him? Yeah, it really gets tough because you got the starting five for sure. Then you got Isaiah Jackson. Then, you know, obviously you got Benedict Matherm for sure. I mean, should be a starter. But then, yeah, that's seven right there. Definitely valued above him. Terry Taylor right now, I mean, look, I really want to work out. I'm a big Terry guy. I really like that. Then all of a sudden it becomes that O'Shea I would put in. as Yeah, I would put him in a right around eight. Yeah, and so that's what I'm saying. Like me and you and a lot of other fans, we value O'Shea. We do. Way more than it appears that the Pacers do. Now, part of that could be because O'Shea, they, maybe they view him as a four more than a three. And we kind of talked about that earlier in the first you know, mailbag podcast segment that we did. But I also feel like he's just not very good defensively. And offensively, he's got some really nice moments. But defensively, if you look at some of the lineups that he was in, they were just a negative in terms of what they were defensively compared to what they were offensively. Now, you could probably make that case for a lot of lineups last year on the Pacers just because of how bad we were defensively. But he didn't, you know, prove that he could be – someone that was reliable on the defensive side of things. And with defense being a big emphasis, personally for me, I think Neesmith and I think Terry Taylor are better defenders, okay? Yeah. So that to me is why I think he's being left out of the rotation. But with that being said, yeah, I, I would not be surprised if O'Shea Brissett is traded this season. And I could also see them potentially packaging him with someone like a Daniel Tice to get something back that's a little bit more in, in, intriguing, right? Uh if because O'Shea's contract's not very big, and the not fact that a team might, you know, want some small forward, power forward depth that a guy that can shoot can be thrown out there and, you know, limited minutes, obviously, but just having that insurance on your bench, 
to me, that could be enticing for a team. So it wouldn't be surprising to me if he's involved in a trade this year as well. But, you know, with that being said, I like O'Shea a ton. He's a great person to have on the podcast. Really enjoyed our conversation with him, and I wish him nothing but the best. But it does not seem like he's going to be here next year, Fachi. No, it doesn't. But look, you know, when you're talking about, hey, how did the Pacers get off Goga? You know, look, if you were to include O'Shea with Goga, I mean, if you're OKC, why not roll the dice on that? You're talking about two players right around 23 years old that are young, really not making that much money. And you could, you know, experiment to see if they could be a part of your future over there. So I do think that that there's many teams that would value O'Shea, unfortunately, clearly more than the Pacers do, because I do think he brings a lot of good things to the table. It just might not be overly great in one specific asset of the game. Yeah, and, and there's no doubt about that. So it's it's tough because I like O'Shea, you like O'Shea. We've been a little bit puzzled by his role. But with that being said, I just feel like it makes a ton of more sense why they've kind of invested more into Neesmith at the three because he is on that rookie scale contract instead of being an unrestricted free agent like yeah. O'Shea is going to be. Aaron Neesmith will be a restricted free agent. He's a better defender. It's tough, but it's kind of how you have to look at it and view it. And another thing we haven't even added into this, if we don't get the first overall pick next year, it's a very high chance that we take a wing in the draft, which means another player that's going to be crowding up that space where O'Shea is probably not going to get a chance to play. 100% true. I mean, look, beyond crazier things have happened. And the way O'Shea started last year and then the way he finished it were obviously two totally different things. I mean, we talked about a guy went from not playing in the beginning of the year to after all the trades led us on, on the season in totals and a lot of different categories. But so I don't think a lot of people would have predicted that. But for right now, it does not look good for him returning to the Pacers, especially when he wants opportunity and has not financially cashed in on you know the NBA and really gotten that first real contract so i would not blame him for looking elsewhere when the time comes yeah let's move on here fachi to our next question from chuck and jamie you got this one i do chuck and jamie appreciate you said do you think o'shea percent staying on topic deserves the power forward spot over terry taylor or do you think the lineup is best as constructed yeah, I mean, it kind of goes back into what I just said about the defense, Fachi. I didn't mean to kind of answer this question before we got to it. I That's my fault for not reading ahead. But, yeah, it's a tough spot to be in because I think O'Shea is a more talented offensive player than Terry Taylor is. But Terry Taylor brings something different to the table. And I think that the front office and probably the coaching staff like what they saw from Terry with Isaiah Jackson in the uh, in the summer league as well as last season. I think they kind of complement one another to a certain degree. Now, O'Shea is a much better shooter, which is something that I value. And we talked about that second unit right now. Matherin's really the only guy that you feel comfortable about being able to get his own shot and get to the rim at will. Isaiah Jackson, he's a pogo stick. Terry Taylor's kind of just like a plug-and-play kind of guy. He's really not like a great three-point shooter or a great shooter or a guy you're going to expect to create anything. McConnell will create and hit some floaters and fadeaway stuff, fadeaway jumpers in the in the paint, but he's not a spot-up three guy, and Neesmith is more of a guy that's a catch-and-shoot guy. So O'Shea could add that element to that second unit, but maybe the Pacers don't want him kind of getting in the way of Matherin's development as being the go-to guy off the bench. So I don't, I don't know. There's a lot of different factors here, but I just feel like Terry Taylor, they value him more long-term. Better rebounder, this team has to get better on the glass, and I think that's why they're playing Terry over him. So 
to me, it's like neck and neck because I hated leaving Terry Taylor out of our rotation when we made the first original 10 man roster. So and it's like, how do I, how do I do this? I think you said maybe flip niece miss minutes. I might've said the same thing, but yeah. um, it, it makes sense to me now after seeing the play a little bit, why the Pacers value Neesmith over O'Shea. No, I, I definitely see it. And I, I do think that Neesmith could have that higher ceiling over O'Shea right now. I mean, game one of the preseason, he looked great. And obviously we hear he's dealing with the plantar fascia and he ends up going, you know, 0 for 4 in 9 minutes. So, you know, life comes at you quick, but I do think that that is a product of him being hurt. So I, I do very much believe in Neesmith moving forward. But when we're talking about O'Shea versus Terry Taylor, I, to your point, I definitely think that O'Shea is a bit more polished offensively. But the skill set that Terry is bringing to the table to this Pacers team, not only O'Shea lacks, but a lot of other people on the team lack his ability to rebound, especially on the offensive side of things. But also, we even heard Chad Buchanan say, players don't want to guard Terry in practice. He's a dog out there. Like, it's hard to guard this man. He's a handful. And I think that we're starting to see him flourish a bit. We saw him dominate in summer league to the point where Terry is one of the guys they withheld from the remaining games. So I think that it's it's obvious that we, we started to see him as being that, you know, basically second sub in, in preseason, second or third guy coming in. Uh, so that's been great to see. And I, I think right now, Terry Taylor definitely has that edge. And what we're hearing from the coaching staff and front offices, we're hearing a lot of compliments about Terry Taylor. Gonna be honest, Alex. It's been the exact opposite about O'Shea. We're not hearing anything. Period. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing. Not yeah. even whispers. Yeah, and I think O'Shea's just gonna have to earn those minutes on the court. And I think he's gonna have to be super positive on the sideline, even though he's probably frustrated he's not getting into the rotation, probably frustrated he didn't get the extension. I think it was James Johnson that talked about this in a in a practice media. Uh, Q and A type thing with the with the reporters, and basically he just said, "I'm trying to teach these guys to have positive energy when they're not in the game." And so, I'm not saying I've noticed that from O'Shea, but if he's showing any body language of frustration, that could also be penalizing him as well in terms of you know Carlisle giving them that time. But the next question comes from DJ Davis. He said, "Who do you predict uh, will be the surprise player this year that grows tremendously for the Pacers?" Uh, there's lots of options with all the young players, and even Turner has a chance to to be the surprise player now that he is finally getting the five spot back. But only pick one, so who's it going to be? I'll go with Langston Galloway. No, I'm just kidding. Um, it's like you know, hit <laughs> by surprise. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Um, look, man, this is this is tough. I really do think that Aaron Neesmith has a big opportunity because of. He's coming from not having that many minutes. But, man, Isaiah Jackson, to me, has looked so good, so good, that I really feel like he could take a big leap forward. Same with Duarte. I mean, maybe that's what's expected in your sophomore year is you're expected to take a leap forward. But I think Isaiah Jackson could end up being a handful on a nightly basis, you know, just night in, night out. So, man, I'd, I'd really like to say that it's not really surprising, but I think he's going to take a big, big leap. Yeah, I was going to say Chris Duarte for this one. And I, I think part okay. of the problem is, and I hate to say this, but he's kind of a boring player compared to everybody else yeah. on the roster. And that doesn't mean that he's not good. It's just like he's not a flashy dunker. His yeah. most incredible probably trait that he has is being a good three-point shooter, right? 
you know, Halliburton's making flashy passes. You know, Jalen Smith is the guy that we stole from Phoenix who's, you know, got the ability to make some athletic dunks. You got Matherin, the rookie, who's going to be surprising. Isaiah Jackson's the pogo stick. He's going to, you know, catch a bunch of lob passes and and finish those alley-oops. And then you've got Terry Taylor, who's this short, small power forward that gets all these rebounds that everybody likes talking about. And then there's Chris Duarte, right? And all he does is just keep grinding away, keep doing the little things, keep showcasing why he really is important to this team. And little by little, you'll see moments of his athleticism when he gets to the basket and, and little things like that, or when he turns the ball over against the Knicks and throws a bad inbounds pass, and then the guy tries to score on him and he blocks him, but because he's the only one back on defense, they still get the bucket. But you're like, wow, he recovered really nice and got a nice block. I mean, those are things to me like, he is going to be a great surprise because I think people are going to look at the numbers and be like, wow, Duarte had a really good season, but I was so caught up in everybody else, I didn't notice it. So surprise, Duarte to me is going to be someone that's really good for this team. Hey, look, I, I wouldn't doubt it one bit. I, I've said it time and time again. We're all sleeping on Chris Duarte. This man produces. He really does. Wouldn't surprise me if he's someone who, if things go right, could average 17 points per game this year. I think it all comes down to staying healthy. But, yeah, I mean, I think Chris Duarte and Isaiah Jackson, those two, I mean, the Pacers struck gold in the draft last year with those two. I think they're going to produce this year big time. I didn't feel, I didn't have, like, a sleeper pick by any means. Like, there's no way I could say with a straight face, like, oh, man, Andrew Namhar is going to take the second point guard job or any anything like that or obviously where O'Shea is right now. And I don't think Buddy's going to turn into a new player this year. So I think we're safe, you know, kind of picking between Isaiah and Duarte here. Yeah, I mean, I think the only way Nimhart gets in the conversation is if TJ suffers an injury. Right. And all of a sudden, Nimhard's kind of getting more playing time and he's able to showcase what he can do. But overall, I, I just feel like with Andrew Nimhard, uh, it's going to be a matter of seizing the moment when he gets it, but he's not going to get that moment very frequently. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you on that. And look, it would not be, you, you, it's not a surprise to say, oh, Benedict Matherin, like this guy has, has looked better as advertised if not at minimum as advertised so yeah i think that's kind of expected right there so i definitely feel good about that isaiah slash chris duarte pick right over there for our last question we got aura said how do you see the two and three minutes being split if matherin excels early does that accelerate the pacers trading buddy healed yeah we've kind of talked about that and i totally agree with this take Aura. i think it does expedite the Pacers, you know, more than likely trading Mathern, or excuse me, not Mathern. Wow, trading heel. So Mathern can get playing. Yeah, we don't want to do that. Sorry, uh, tongue twister there. That could have been real bad. But with that being said, I, I think what you're going to see before a trade is you probably see Buddy's minutes kind of start to like dwindle down a little bit. Maybe he plays 28 to 32 to start the year, and then. By December, you're seeing them around 24 and Matherin probably getting 24 minutes. That way they're kind of splitting that load and maybe Matherin even gets it to 28 and plays them at the three. Comes in for, for Buddy early, then Buddy comes back in for Neesmith or Duarte or something like that. Like That's how I see it. But I, I definitely think you're going to see a lot of minutes played there between Matherin, Buddy, Chris Duarte, and Aaron Neesmith. And I think we even saw it a little bit. In the first half against the Knicks, we saw Andrew Nimhard get some minutes there. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, as like a two guard, so don't be surprised if you see that for like five minutes a game, like every three to four games, just because they're trying to get him some experience, some playing time. But mostly, I think you're going to see, you know, Duarte. I think will lead the way in minutes for those four, and that's just how I view Afachi. And then I think Matherin and Buddy will be very close, and then Neesmith will probably have the you know the remaining minutes in that spot. No, I'm spot on with you between those four. I do think that, you know, they will divide up the two and three minutes. Look, I mentioned it, you know, a few episodes ago, but, like, people don't realize that Buddy Heald was playing 35 minutes per game for the Pacers in the starting lineup last year. That is way too many minutes for Buddy. I know he played, you know, well, but at the same point, the Pacers weren't playing for anything. So I do think that we need to see his minutes trim down. And, you know, if, if, if this definitely does speed up the process a bit because Matherin has looked really good. We're talking about Matherin's already converted three and ones in two preseason games. Like this is a guy who's, who's fighting through contact, getting to the hole. What was the adjustment that he needed to do after game one? Hit his three pointers. He goes two of three from three against the Knicks. So it just feels like the sky's the limit for him. And it feels like it's just a matter of time. So I'm with you. I see buddy's minutes kind of getting trimmed down as the month goes on, and I would love if Duarte can stay healthy and carve out a consistent role instead of what the Pacers put him through last year. And I'm and I'm thinking that's going to be the case, Fachi, just because of how highly they've spoke of him when they've spoke about him and how often he's been kind of playing with that first unit and what they're asking him to do in terms of guarding the team's best player and that kind of thing. So with that being said, Fachi, that wraps up our mailbag for the month of October. So we're almost there, ladies and gentlemen. The season is just around the corner. But with that being said, Fachi, as we close it out, do what you got to do. Absolutely. So you can find us on Twitter at SettingThePace3. You can find Alex on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You can find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You can find us on Facebook at SettingThePace. You can find us on TikTok at SettingThePace. And Alex, tell them where they can check us out on YouTube. Man, you're back, Faji. That's Woo! what I wanted to hear. <laughs> YouTube.com slash Setting the Pace, a Pacers podcast. Or go to Google, type in Setting the Pace, and we'll be right there at the top of your search. But with that being said, Faji, if you are ecstatic from what you've seen from Benedict Matherin so far in the preseason, then say these three words. Let's go, Pacers! Let's go, Pacers! Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast. Sleeping every team, we gon' need a